Exodus chapters one and two. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as door cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the, on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Thank you. Thank you, Gillian, um, for reading that. Um, I know it was, a, it was a long read, but I think it's really helpful where we can to have God's word read to us. So thank you very much um, for that. And I hope you, I hope you, maybe you've had a chance this week to be looking at the, the, the reading plan that Sam put together for us um, that goes through the passages that we're going to be uh, studying or being preached from on the Sunday um, in the week before. So if you haven't got a copy of that, I think there's one on the update letter. Just encourage you, have a look at that. It's a really, really great resource. Um, I'm just going to pray um, as we um, as we start, and I'm going to share my screen because I think Ben, if it's all right, I will um, probably click. It just might be um, easier, hopefully. I don't know if you can see this, everybody. There we go. Hopefully, that's that's there. Okay, I'm just going to pray for us, Father God. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that it speaks to us today in our specific context. Thank you that your word is also never changing, but it does. Um, yeah, it, just the power that it has to speak into whatever situation we are in. So I pray tonight that it would do that. Lord, I ask that your word would go out. Lord, I pray that it would be in your spirit that I preach this, that anything that is not from you would not be heard. But anything that is, Lord, I pray would be 
Lord, be with us this evening, Lord. We, we are excited to hear from you tonight. Amen. So it's always good. To, I always get excited about starting a new um, sermon series and a little bit daunted to be to be tackling Exodus, but also really excited. It's been a really um, enjoy, enjoyable to be studying um, this book over the last few weeks. Um, and so we've titled it Redeemed and we're going to be looking at that specifically um, today. Um, so last week I talked about an organisation called um, Safe Families that are going to be coming to speak to us next week um, a guy called Carl is going to come and speak to us and talk about the work that they do but m- myself and Nikki are um, thinking about volunteering with some of the stuff that they do with our work with families and some respite care that they do and we did some training this week um, and during that uh, that training they shared a story of a family that they're working with at the moment um, it's a it's a story of, of a mum with two young children who got diagnosed with um, a brain tumour um, as she went to the hospital to have an operation, they realised that it was actually inoperable. And so she came out of hospital and she went home. She got home to find that her partner had thrown her and her children out of the house. She had nowhere to go. She ended up in a hostel and has and is still currently there at the moment uh, with her children. And, and safe families got involved. They got involved um, using volunteers, Christian volunteers, to get around um, this mother and help support her to love her, to care for her, to support her when she goes for treatment, to be able to look after the children, to take her shopping, to do uh, things that otherwise she would really struggle to do in her situation. But most importantly, they're there to give her hope. Hope that there is an eternal life that awaits her if she confesses Jesus as Lord, if she allows Jesus to rescue her. And you know me, I get emotional at the best of times, but hearing a story like that, I was gone pretty soon during the story. But it just, I think one of the reasons it gets to me so much is, is twofold. Firstly, the, the situation of this mum, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? But also we get to see the father's heart worked through Christians as they seek to love this family. And it's the story of Exodus as well. It's the, it's, it's the same story in Exodus. It's the same story that runs through the whole Bible about Um, about a rescuing God, a God on mission to rescue his people from their physical oppression, but also from their spiritual oppression. That is the Father's heart. It runs through the whole Bible. It runs through this book of Exodus. And I'm just excited today that we are able to um, just look at this book, look at our rescuing God, look at just what he's done for us and what he is at work in doing in other people at the moment and that we are involved in his mission as we have been redeemed by God as we've been rescued by him at a great price that came at the cost of his son we are here as well as his uh, work to redeem others from their situations and to bring the good news of the gospel into their lives too so I pray that this evening that we would just see the father's heart to rescue but also we would see the work at which he has got for us to do in the midst of that too So I hope it's an encouraging evening for you. I really, really do. Well, first of all, um, we see the Father's heart and and we see this in in the final three verses of the second chapter. So if you have your Bibles, do keep them open. It will also be on the screen as well. But we see it in the final few verses where um, it says this. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. 
God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It's the father's heart. He, he heard their cry. And we see, so firstly, we can look at our, our God is a rescuing God who knows our circumstances and cares about our plight. Our God is a rescuing God who knows our circumstances and cares about our plight. And what an awful situation Israel found themselves in. And we read this in chapter one, verses eight to ten, that firstly, we, we see that there's a number of um, a number of uh, oppressions that are going on and uh, reasons they're in slavery, that we see three physical um, enslavements or oppressions that they're experiencing. And we also see um, a spiritual enslavement that is going on as well for them. So first, we look at the political enslavement that they're going through in verses eight to ten. We find that Joseph, this is some 400 years has passed, Joseph died, 400 years has passed, and, and the new pharaoh and the several pharaohs that would have been um, in the meantime have now forgotten about Joseph and what he did, where he saved Egypt and, um, and his, ended up his family, saving his family from famine as well. And what happens is the new pharaoh is actually concerned that they are so numerous that they're fulfilling what um, God had asked them to do, which is to multiply and to spread out. And they were doing that. And yet Pharaoh sees them as a real problem. They might join up with, a, with their enemies and defeat the Egyptians. And so what do they do? He comes up with a plan to, um, to shrewdly deal with them, to politically deal with them, where he enslaves them. He passes laws that they are to be treated harshly. And as a result, these, this immigrant nation are discriminated against. They're treated harshly. They have no political freedom now. They are a threat to Pharaoh. But we also see that there is an um, economic slavery that's going on in verses 11 to 14 of chapter 1. We see that, that what happens is that these new rules that are passed end up oppressing them, forcing them to work um, in horrible conditions. They were oppressed, it reads in verse 12. In verse 13, they were worked ruthlessly. In verse 14, they, their lives were made bitter. And also in verse 14, it says they were dealt with in harsh labour, having to carry bricks and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. It was a harsh work for them. But we also see that they were um, socially enslaved. I haven't put this passage up, it was too long, but in verses 15 to 22, we see this harrowing account of where Pharaoh says, the only way we're going to stop them is by, by, by killing their sons. And it's that awful, awful um, thing that we, we, we don't even like reading or thinking about, do we? That, that Pharaoh wants to kill all the boys of the Hebrew nation. Can you just imagine the cries that would go up to God that he heard? Can you just imagine for one moment what that would have been like? You know, they've grown from 70 people to 600,000 people during that 400 years. And the sheer number of, of, of children that would have been born each and every single day must have been in the dozens and dozens and dozens that would be put down the Nile and drowned. You can imagine that the wailing that would have come out, that would have just been a continual sound, a background of noise in Egypt that would have just continued um, each and every single day. But, but God hears their plight. 
and he's going to act. He hears their cry for help because of their slavery and it goes up to God and he hears them. You see, he's about to bring them out of their physical oppression. It's what he wants to do. He's heard their cry. But it mustn't have been easy for them. You could have, I mean, that's an understatement, isn't it? It would have been incredibly tough for them that there would have been a period of time where they just did not know what was going to happen. They, they, they didn't hear from God, maybe. They didn't know that he was going to act. Maybe you feel like you're in that place where your prayers, are, you feel like you're praying to God and yet are unsure whether he is hearing or answering your prayers. Some of you um, in your missional communities are going through the Pete Craig um, Unanswered Prayer series. And I, I really encourage because I just listened to one um, over the last couple of days. The first one, I found it, I found it absolutely excellent. It's really, really helpful. And he, he talks about um, uh, Samuel Rutherford, who, who, wrote, uh, who wrote this line after his wife had just died. He'd been banned from preaching. And he'd been imprisoned and he says this, he says, I see that grace groweth best in winter. I see that grace groweth best in winter. I mean, I think what he's talking about here is that it's in the times of hardship, in the times of not knowing why these things are happening, that we grow the most, that we are refined the most in the fire in those times that are really, really tough, where we feel that maybe God isn't answering our prayer, or even if God is there listening to our cries. But it is in those times, I want to encourage you, it is in those times that the Lord does hear you, he does hear us, and he knows our circumstance, and he really does know what's going on, and he will act. We don't know exactly when, we don't know exactly how, but we do know that consistently in Scripture, when he says he's going to do something, he does act. And whether that's now or whether that's in the new heaven and the new earth where our physical bodies are made new, where spiritually we are made new and our embodied spirits go up to be with him in a new creation. He will act and he will act justly. Psalm 34 verse 15 says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cries for help. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the cries for help. He does hear our cries. He knows what's going on. But also we see that there's a, a spiritual slavery going on for God's chosen people. Says, um, part of the, uh, Pharaoh, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh on a number of occasions and says, let um, God's told me, let, let, your, let his people go, let us go. And to begin with, it's to let them go just for a, for a period of time to go and worship Yahweh. And this is what he says in verse, um, in chapter four, he says, then, then say to Pharaoh, this is God says to Moses to say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. You see, God wants to make worshippers out of us all, out of the whole of creation, out of everyone. He wants everybody to worship him. He frees Israel from their um, uh, physical oppression and he wants to bring them to a place where they can worship him freely. 
that is what God wants to do. He desires worshippers. But as we saw in that video, no, no, long, no sooner have Israel been freed from, from the persecution and oppression in, in Egypt, that what did they do? They wished they were back in being enslaved again. You see, God wanted to bring them out for, him, for them to worship him, to follow the one true God that loves them and cares for them. And yet in their hearts, they were looking back to Egypt, back to being enslaved. They saw that as being better. And, and so often that's something that we can do, isn't it? As, if we believe in Jesus, we can so often turn around and say, actually, hang on a second. Oh, maybe it was better when I didn't follow you, Lord, because I had this, this and this and life was easier in this way. But, but we know in reality that is just a lie. That is not true. Even think those, when times are hard and times are tough, life is so much better knowing Jesus knowing that you've been saved and rescued from your sins. See, so our God is a rescuing God who knows our circumstances. He cares about our situations. He cares about our plight and he will act. But secondly, our rescuing God is a res- our God is a rescuing God who remembers us, remembers his promise and sends a redeemer. Our God is a rescuing God who remembers his promise and sends a redeemer. You see, back in chapter two, in the last few verses, we see that during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out to God, and he heard them. That the, the cries went up to him, and then in verse twenty-four, we see that he remembered, he heard their, their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham. He made that covenant back in Genesis where um, an an unbreakable covenant, his unbreakable, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, where he intended to keep this promise to make a great nation from Abraham that would bless all the nations, that would make the other nations jealous for the God that Israel had. They would see this amazing God and the people walking closely with God and they would say, we want that. And yet, as we know, Israel fail. But at this stage, the promise that is made looks like it's hanging by the thinnest of threads, doesn't it? We see that Moses is about to be one of the boys that is put into the River Nile and drowned and killed. He was the means through which God was going to save a people. And yet it's hanging by the, the slightest of threads. And you think, this is the River Nile. This is um, the largest river in the world. Billions of billions of gallons of water flowing through it every single second. And he's about to be placed in a basket and put in it. And, so, and miraculously, God ordained, he gets picked up by Moses's, uh, sorry, by, um, by Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't that amazing? And actually the word, um, the word for basket used here is tabar in Hebrew. And it's the same word that is used for the word ark, for Noah's ark. So just as God's grace was on Noah, it was too on Moses. Moses was a deliverer to bring salvation. And his name means to be brought out. Just as he was brought out of the water by um, Pharaoh's daughter, that's what his name means. And, and it's the perfect name for him, isn't it? Because what did he do? He was used by God to bring his people out of Egypt. He frees them from the physical oppression 
to bring them to that place of worshipping and being part and being God's people. Moses, a redeemer, pointing us to Christ, the perfect redeemer. Moses was a type of Christ. Throughout Exodus, we'll see lots of um, foreshadowing uh, where uh, we can read into this so much about Jesus. We can see Jesus in every single passage that we'll read over these coming weeks, that it points to the one to come, the better redeemer to come. And, and we see that I mean, in Luke in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 18, it reads this, and I love this, it's, and this is Jesus speaking. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. It's what Jesus, the Redeemer, came to do. It's what he has done and is doing See, God's heart has always been for the physically oppressed and for everybody, because we're all spiritually oppressed, aren't we? Before Christ, we're all in that situation where we are spiritually dead. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We are all in this dire strait. But, but while we're still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. What a rescuing God. What an amazing story. Well, I hope there's been a bit of a warming of your heart for the Father's heart. It excites me to know what he has done for us and what he wants to do for the world. He, he wants to free everybody. One day will be free from the physical oppression if they come to know him. And I think that is so exciting. That's why we've got such a great message to give. And so just finally... What I'd like to talk about is our God is a rescuing God who remembers his promise. Sorry, I'm on the wrong bit. <laughs> our rescuing God is a res- our God is a rescuing God who is redeeming a people for himself to share the Father's heart to redeem others. I think it's beautiful, and this is what I love about this is is that um, God has saved us, He has redeemed us, He has rescued us at a great cost to Himself to be part of the redeeming process of redeeming other people. Of course, we know it's him that saves. It is all down to him that saves, but he uses us in the process. And we talk about that a lot, don't we? We do talk about that a lot, but but we are on a mission, like God is on his mission to make all things new. And he's using us to help make all things new. You see, we see the type of slavery that we see in Egypt. We see it today in our society. And we see political slavery. We see a political slavery. So I'll just go back. We see a political slavery um, that oppresses the poor, even in our society, don't we? There's a um, there's a, a definite uh, divide between the rich and the poor that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger with every government that goes past. We see economic slavery that's happening where the power, um, people of power continue to abuse the weak, don't they, both uh, for financial gain, but also for sexual perversion. We see that 30 million slaves in the world at the moment, many of whom are in the sex slave. Human trafficking is the second largest organised crime in the world. There is so much to do. There is so much to redeem. 
We also see social slavery as the poor are marginalized in our society as well. Living in areas of high crime, poor education establishments, high levels of domestic violence, teenage pregnancy, a cycle that goes on after generation, after generation, after generation. There is so much physical oppression that goes on, even in our community. But you see, the Father's heart is a compassionate one. And we too, as his followers, as his redeemed people that go on his mission to be part of redeeming others, are to share that Father's heart as well. A heart of compassion and a heart, if we've seen, of action. And we see this, this is exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? When he came, he came for Jews and for Gentiles. He came down with compassion. He went to proclaim the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sins, giving spiritual freedom. But he also did not neglect the physical, practical needs of people and the service of people. He spent his time with the, the, with the least of these, didn't he? With the worst of sinners, eating with tax collectors, eating with the lowest in society. He cast, it out, he cast out demons, he healed the sick, he raised people from the dead, he brought life where there was death. And so now we as the redeemed people, we are able to, to, to mimic that and to copy that. We are to have compassion and we are to act in love in those in the world around us. Think about um, uh, many of the movements across history that have, for example, like the uh, uh, the ending of slavery. I'm even thinking of William Booth with the Salvation Army. He took the gospel with word and with deed. He went to the most vulnerable and the marginalized, set up shelters and soup kitchens, rescuing women fleeing from domestic abuse, orphans, housing orphans and so forth. He had a real heart to see the gospel in action. And just thinking about safe families, and we'll hear a little bit more about it next week, but the guy that set it up, a guy called Dave Anderson over in Canada, set it up in 2003 with the heart and the desire as a Christian to prevent the tragedies of child abuse and neglect and parents having their children taken off them when there is another way. He thought, could the church be the answer to this problem to help families in crisis to thrive? See, he wanted to see the church step in to help those families. And there's been over 35,000 families helped since, which I think is, is, is amazing, isn't it? That the gospel being lived out in word and in deed, because the hope is that to share the gospel with the families as they are befriended and as they are looked after. However, all this sounds good and exciting doesn't it that oh all these um, we're not going to start the salvation army we're not going to do another one of them or, or oh, i haven't got time to be part of uh, volunteering in any other way and i get that and i feel that and i know that but but there is something that we can do i'm just thinking that at the moment as we're looking at our missional communities and just thinking about how how do we come out of this period of covid how do we reach the loss what does that even look like even the thought of starting up a ministry area is like, ah, no. But I found this really helpful. I found this a really helpful way of looking at it. And, and um, I read some stuff that Tim Chester had um, uh, has written on this. And he talks about the power of the teapot. The power of the teapot. He says the teapot is perhaps one of the most powerful tools to make a huge impact in your community. 
he gives these stats in an area of um, in any normal UK town where there's um, around 10,000 people or more. But for every 10,000 people within walking distance of a local church, he says that you can see these things. And I think that for Erdington, you would probably treble these figures per 10,000. But he says 1,200 people living alone, 580 pensionable, uh, of pensionable age, 1,500 people who talk to their neighbours less than once a week, 50 people who have been divorced uh, within the last year, 375 single parents, 18 pregnant teenagers, 250 people who are employed, 1,700 people living on low income, 150 have com contemplated uh, or uh, have had or contemplated abortions, 1,100 people with some kind of mental health issue, uh, 100, uh, 100 people bereaved, bereaved, 15 asylum seekers, 800 victims of crime in the past 12 months. He says you can see that all within a walking distance of your local church. And he says, but what is striking about this, particularly striking about this, is that many of these problems can be met by basic human contact. You see, we don't necessarily need to start a large government-funded project to do this or to do missions or to go and help in the redeeming process, making things new, but we just need to build relationships and offer people Christian community. What matters is ordinary Christians with a commitment and a passion for people. Who could you be having a cup of tea with? Who could it start with? I know a if you don't have a pot of tea, I know a really good cafe that has a few pots of tea going spare if you want to use them. I've forgotten where it is now. Um, but I need to open it. But it isn't. But it's it's really true, isn't it? It's really true. Who have we got that is in our even next door? <laughs> Who have we got on our street that we know? may have had a lonely last 18 months is there a work colleague that has been dealt with poorly at work that you could get alongside and help support is there a friend that's caught up in addictions is there an elderly elderly neighbor that is lonely is there a, is there a single mum that just needs help or a cup of tea and a chat you see it starts with relationship it moves to sharing the gospel and then it moves to bringing into the local church community. And that's what we want to do here at church, isn't it? We, we want to be people that love, go out, seek the lost, love them, be willing to get our hands dirty and messy into their messy lives if needs be, to sort, support, to care and to point them to Jesus in, in, in ways that we can do that. But also not to do this alone. I love the way that um, Safe Families is all about bringing them into the church community. So it's not just up to one individual to do it. It's, it's a church, um, it's a whole church thing that we're all part of this. And that's why our missional communities are great, because we don't have to do it on our own. There are others that are with us on that mission of just sharing Jesus in word and in deed. So I can get really overwhelmed even just walking out of my street and thinking within three doors of me, there's about 12, 18 to 21 year olds living in two houses that I, that I could say, even just say hello to, that I could get to know, that I could offer support to maybe, or just say, just be friendly to, have a, have a cup of tea with. And, but sometimes the need just feels so great, doesn't it? 
there's almost too many people that we can think of. And I just encourage you, just pray and ask the Lord to put on your heart one person, one person that you could be at work in uh, on God's work of, of, of hoping and helping and working towards redeeming them physically from their oppression, but also most important, spiritually. I'm just going to finish with very quickly. Um, something that really stood out to me um, in this passage was in chapter one, where you see the response of the midwives to Pharaoh's um, command for them to, to kill the babies as, they, as, they, as um, the Hebrew women give birth. And they don't do it. They don't do it. They refuse, they kind of are a little bit shifty in how they deal with it, a bit shrewd with how they deal with it, but they don't do it because they fear God more. They fear God more. And what I find, what really stood out to me from this was that it's interesting that those two midwives are named. We see that there's Shipra, which means beautiful one, and Pua which means splendid one, and yet Pharaoh doesn't get a name. Moses' parents don't get a name. Moses' sister doesn't get a name. Pharaoh's daughter doesn't get a name at these points. This is, this is all about these two women that are so important because they're part of God's rescue plan. Without them having done what they did, Moses wouldn't have been the redeemer that he was. And so... I don't know about you, but it just encouraged me to think they feared God. They did what they felt the Lord was telling them to do. And not that they did it for this reason, but it's great that Moses uses their names, has their names written for everyone to read now in God's word. Isn't that wonderful? They were remembered because they protected life. And that's what we get to do on God's mission as God's working to redeem others, making things new. We get to protect life. We get to give life where for many people, it feels like there's just death. We get to bring life into those situations. So guys, I'm just going to pray for us as we finish there. I just encourage you, maybe um, I'm going to leave a, a moment of silence as well as, as I pray just to maybe um, ask the Lord if there is anyone, even on your street, a neighbour or someone you know that is on your heart to maybe think, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> help me go to them. Help me bring life into their situation. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have a rescue, that you are a rescuing God. Thank you that you know our circumstances and you care about our plight, even when we can not necessarily always make sense of what's going on. Maybe we feel that um, you're not um, hearing our cries to you but Lord you do hear them you do know our state you hear the cries of the righteous and so Lord I pray that we would remember the, the, the great rescuer that you sent us in Jesus we thank you for him we thank you that he has brought us out of darkness and into beautiful wonderful light Lord and we pray that you would use us in, in doing the same Lord I pray that we would bring light into the situations that we go, Lord, for those that are going into a workplace tomorrow. Lord, I pray that it would shine brightly for you, that you would bring someone along for them to show love to and your compassion and where action is needed, that they would be able to do that. 
Lord, I pray even for our neighbourhoods that we would be bold in, um, in inviting people over for a cup of tea. Lord, I pray that we would use that, the teapot as a means of, of um, yeah, bringing life into people's lives. And so, Lord, I'm, Lord there seems to be so much work to do, so many people that are in need. And yet, Lord, it starts with us, with a compassionate heart and with a willingness just to act, even just with one person, Lord, I pray that you would put someone on our hearts now, Lord. I'm just going to give a moment of silence as we search our hearts, Lord, and you prompt us to think of someone now. Yes, Lord, Father, we pray for that. I pray for those people that have been named there. Pray for opportunities, even that this week, that you would make space in our busy schedules, Lord, that you would um, help us um, listen and hear their plight and point them to the God that hears and a God that knows, and a God that cares. Amen.